Sorry about that. <clears throat> I tried to do a Facebook Live and the Wi-Fi connection wasn't working, so uh, hopefully this is a little bit better. Um, I'm now ha holding it by hand, so uh, it's a little bit wobbly. Um, oh, <laughs> Facebook has just said, congratulations on my 50th broadcast. There you go. I've done 50 of these Facebook Lives. Better make this a good one. Um, I'm currently in uh, Connecticut. Uh, somewhere where I lived for a lot of years, um, staying with some really good friends, uh, people who actually helped me come out to America. The reason why I'm in the U.S. Um, is because of my friends uh, who I'm visiting at the moment. So that's, that's really special for me. Uh, I was just in Manhattan doing some events, and so I, I, uh, I'm coming down here for a couple of days. So please say hi. Tell me where you're coming from. Um, if you have any questions about what I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, this particular Facebook Live is about uh, Atheism for Lent. Uh, Atheism for Lent starts on the 1st of May and this is just a general welcome, uh, introduction to what Atheism for Lent is and orientation concerning like the first uh, few days. So the welcome first, welcome, hello. If you've signed up for Atheism for Lent, um, you will have a private website that has 40 reflections, a reflection for every day of Lent. And on that website, you will also have, uh, that's where you'll find information about how to see the lectures that I'll be giving starting next week. Uh, it will tell you how to do group work because a lot of churches are involved. Um, it'll also be the place where I upload all of my lectures in both video and audio form. So you'll be able to either tune in live or watch or listen um, after the event. So what is Atheism for Lent? Uh, most of you, hopefully if you've been following my work, will know. So I won't do, do too much, but it's a decentering practice. I'm going to set this down for a second to see if that's better. Yeah. Uh, atheism for Lent is a decentering practice. Uh, I've developed four decentering practices over the years, um, and uh, they're the Last Supper, uh, Atheism for Lent, the Evangelism Project, and the Omega Course. And I call them decentering practices, kind of playfully, because you know you have centering practices, and um, they're important and good. But every every theory has a technology. Uh, medicine, you know, is a theory, or sorry, biology is a theory, but the technology might be surgery. Uh, chemistry is a theory, the technology is, um, you know, the, uh, sorry, we're cutting out a little bit. The, uh, the technology of chemistry is, you know, potions and, and medicines. Uh, there is the theory of psychoanalysis and there's the technology, which is the, the theater of the clinic. And theology has its theory and its technology, and the technology of theology is liturgy. And paratheology, the work that I do, has its own technology. And by technology, I mean that which we engage in um, to transform, to, to enter more fully into the world, um, to um, you know, be more politically active or in kind of embrace existence, whatever it is. So the technology of paratheology has given birth to decentering practices. Now, I call them decentering because in the history of human development, uh, being decentered and destabilized is a pretty good thing. 
um, you know, in science we have the Copernican revolution, which is the point where we realize that we are not the center of the universe. We're not even the center of this galaxy. Rather, we are a small planet that revolves around the sun. So that's a decentering experience, but that led to lots of great insights. There's, of course, Darwinism, which is a type of decentering. We thought we were something special, uh, but in a sense, we are connected to the rest of the animal kingdom. That decentered us uh, and also led to lots of great insights. You have the Freudian revolution, where we realize that the ego is not the center. You know, we're not simply rational animals, but there are unconscious forces at work in our lives um, that, that often have more influence uh, than we would like to uh, admit to ourselves. All of these are experiences of decentering that have radically changed how we interact with the world. And so these decentering practices that I've developed are ways of destabilizing us so as that we're open to new possibilities, to, uh, to thinking in different ways, to experiencing the world differently. And atheism for Lent is one of those. Uh, over Lent, we have 40 reflections, some of the greatest critiques of religion that we read, not to judge them, but to let them judge us to purify, to help us, ex to help expose um, our own idolatries and our own dogmatisms, our festering fundamentalisms. But ultimately, Atheism for Lent this year is about showing how theism and atheism are intimately intertwined, how uh, the critique of religion um, can be found in great atheistic work and theistic work, and that they, that they dance together in an in interesting way and complex ways. So that's what Atheism for Lent is. And if you have a group, some people have asked me this, if you're doing this as a group, you just have to you know, buy a group ticket and then share that email with your group. And then everybody has access to all of the material. So what about the orientation? Well, orientation is where I just wanna introduce the first four reflections uh, the 1st of March, 2nd of March, 3rd of March, 4th of March, because on the 5th of March I'll be giving a lecture. Um, to, to start things off, uh, these first four reflections are just a way of preparing the ground. So the very first one is an excerpt from the comic book Knight and Squire. Uh, I talked about Knight and Squire in another Facebook Live called Time in a Bottle that you can look up. But Knight and Squire is basically a British version of Batman and Robin. Um, and it's kind of satirical, it's funny, because there's all these British superheroes and they're all kind of like rubbish versions of like the American superheroes. There's somebody who's like the Joker, um, but he doesn't like to commit crime. He thinks it's very uncouth, but he dresses up like the Joker. Uh, they all talk about how they wish Superman would come and visit, but of course, you know, he's never going to visit them. And uh, it's just a quite a funny little comic book. Uh, but I start off with an excerpt from it because in the universe of Knight and Squire, there is this pub called Time in a Bottle. And it's this pub that has a spell over it that's been conjured up by Merlin. And basically it means that you can't fight. So it's a place that you go, I think it's like every Tuesday night or every Thursday night, all the superheroes and all the supervillains they go for a pint in this bar and 
because of the magic spell, they can't fight. And once you leave the bar, you miraculously go to some random part of the city so nobody can tail anybody or anything like that. And everybody goes and they have a drink and they hang out together. And I really like this because uh, I think in some respects it's, it's kind of like what we're doing for these 40 days. We're creating a space where what seem like enemies, atheism and theism, um, enter into this space where once a week they sit together, they, they interact with each other, they learn from each other and potentially um, grow because of that interaction. This is the difference between war and conflict. When factions are at war, there is no interaction. War is the inability to have conflict. When we're at war, we don't want to listen to the other. We don't like the other. We just want to kill them, just want to get rid of them. Right? But conflict is whenever you're willing to step into the room and argue back and forth. And the point of time in a bottle is it creates a space where people can have conflict. They can argue, they can talk, they can shout, but they can't fall into war, which is what they're doing outside the pub. So that's, that's the first reading, just a little way playfully to, to reflect on what we're going to try and do in these 40 days. Uh, the second reflection is actually the first thing that I ever wrote. Well, the first thing that I ever published is the introduction to my first book, How Not to Speak of God. And the reason why I included that is because right at the beginning of my writing career, uh, I wanted to make a statement where very implicitly we see atheism and theism as having a more complicated relationship than we might at first imagine. So that introduction starts with two ideas, one from Wittgenstein, who says, what we cannot speak of, we must pass over in silence. In other words, you know, if you're trying to speak of the absolute, of the divine, um, this is something that by definition transcends our understanding and our words. We're always going to screw up when we talk about such things. We're always going to miss the mark. So in a sense, pass over this concept in silence. Uh, but then I, I put that beside the Meister Eckhart, who basically says the unspeakable is that which we should never stop speaking of. You know, that, that in a sense, for Meister Eckhart, the very fact that theology tries to speak the unspeakable is what makes it so interesting. Just like a poet who cannot speak about love, therefore wants to talk obsessively about love. And in this way, we start to see how speaking of God of the absolute, which you could call theism, you know, naming, nominating the divine, and denomination, to dename atheism, to critique, uh, have this in, in, interesting interconnection. That actually theology at its best is potentially both nomination and denomination. Naming and denaming. I like actually the term denomination because churches are called denominations. Um, and we can think of them as being places that actually dename. They, uh, they, they, they create a space for silence. So that, that second reflection is just, a, again, an attempt to, to, to show how actually in my own work this dance has always been there and to show that, that, that 
from a theological perspective, atheism and theism um, have some sort of relationship. Uh, the third reflection is a talk that I gave about belief. It's the first talk that I, have, that I um, gave that explicitly explores what I mean by that word and the problem with belief. Because if in atheism for Lent we're going to be uh, kind of like looking at our beliefs critically. And by the way, I've had a lot of emails from people last year who find the experience very destabilizing like almost too much. I got an email today from someone who said, listen, I had to stop halfway through Atheism for Lent because I was so thrown off. My beliefs were rupturing and fragmenting and, and um, I was basically, uh, you know, breathless. Uh, but they were emailing me to say that they um, they'd restarted Atheism for Lent. So presumably that shattering was a good thing. <laughs> I hope it was anyway. Um, but... Uh, this this talk on belief um, is my attempt to try to show that uh, belief is a lot more interesting and complicated uh, than we might at first imagine. And, and as we critique ourselves, um, I thought it would be great to have at least one reflection that, that looks explicitly at that subject matter. Um, and by the way, you'll see, you know, the first is a comic book. The second is a piece of philosophy. The third is an audio. So I'm trying to really mix it up so you get different things every day. It's not all just reading stuff. And then the final uh, piece is, uh, is from the religion discordantism, which is this religion from the 1970s uh, that was like basically a satirical religion. It's uh, very interesting. Um, it was set up as a, a religion that worships discord, um, that worships the goddess of, um, uh, what's her name? Well, Discordia, I think, is one of her names, but, but chaos and, and the absurd. And uh, they find their work very interesting. And there's one book that they wrote, um, one of the, the main guys wrote, called Principia Discordia. And I've taken an excerpt from that uh, called... Uh, nonsense as salvation and it's a, it's a lovely little piece that celebrates um, the absurd and the importance of chaos and, and, and falling apart and not knowing the answers and um, I thought I'd put that in because that's the experience that many people have when they do atheism for Lent they feel themselves experiencing a breakdown of meaning and that can be a very painful thing at first. You know, you're unraveling, you're, you're pulling things apart. It, it feels kind of chaotic. But uh, Principia Discordia, this excerpt, says you're not unraveling. You know, you're raveling. And something I've talked about before, where to ravel means exactly the same as to unravel. But uh, without the un, it sounds much more positive. You're not unraveling, you're raveling. This is wonderful. And... Uh, I thought I'd put that little excerpt in because I hope that it will lead you on that day to maybe reflect on how this journey into questioning and unknowing uh, might be something wonderful, might actually be uh, liberating, be freeing, be something wonderful. And I couldn't think of a better example of that than discordantism. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better example of that than this strange little surreal book called Principia Discordia. Now, 
I hope from all of that, like when you do atheism for Lent, that actually you'll find yourself reading and encountering things that you've never heard of before. So at the very least, at the end of Atheism for Lent, you'll have some authors or some thinkers that you might uh, want to look into more. You'll discover things that you haven't you know, maybe heard of before. That's at the very least. I hope it, it gives you more than that. Uh, but now I just want to see if any of you have got questions. Um, Especially if you're signed up to Atheism for Lent and you have any questions, this is, this is the place to ask them. So let me just look at some of the comments and see what people are saying. Uh, okay. Lots of people saying hello. Good few Canadians in there. Ontario, Oregon. Um, uh, 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 one person's asking, I can't pronounce your name, sorry, Yevier, about saying May, not March. No, it's March. I really hope I haven't got that wrong, because otherwise, um, that's a pretty big mistake. I probably, I do make a lot of mistakes, by the way. One mistake I have made recently is I just changed my website from .net to .com. Some of you will have seen that. I've got a brand new website. Check it out. I love it. But uh, when I did that, I forgot that Anybody who had access to my courses on .NET lost access to them. So I've been frantically trying to email people with new links so that they can get the material that they once had access to. If that is you, please email me if you have lost access. I apologize profusely. Um, okay, let's see. Oh, you know what? I'll start at the top and I'll work my way back. Okay, someone's asking, is there a discussion place? That's great. Good question. Um, someone else has actually just answered it, but I'll say it here as well. Yeah, there is. If you sign up to Atheism for Lent, you'll get a link to a Facebook group, a private Facebook group, where you can discuss the ideas, share thoughts. You can find people who are doing Atheism for Lent other places in your area. At the moment, a lot of people are using that to say, you know, listen, I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas. Anybody else doing atheism for Lent? Do you want to meet up for a coffee and uh, talk about it? And what's exciting to me last year is a lot of people made new friends and connected with people because they found other people in their area who were also doing atheism for Lent. So that's very important, that Facebook group. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Didi asked, can I spell the name of the book? on discordantism. It's Principia Discordia, which is P-R-I-N-C-I-P-I-A, I think. I'm terrible at spelling off the top of my head, and Discordia, um, D-I-S-C-U-R-D-I-A. I'm a terrible speller, but you'll find it. If you remember discordantism, you'll find it. Um, do you suggest keeping some kind of reflection journal? Candice asked that. You know, that's a good idea. The only problem is there's a lot of stuff to go through. I mean, this is not for the faint-hearted. I, by the way, I would say this. If you don't do all 40 reflections, don't worry. I mean, it's a lot. A lot of people did half of them, so did one every two days, because you have them for life. 
So you don't have to do them all in the 40 days. I recommend if you can do it over 40 days, that would be great. But I realize that, you know, you've got all the reflections and you've got my weekly seminars. So you might not, you know, you might feel exhausted, too exhausted to do a journal. But actually, that would be an amazing idea. I've never, I haven't thought of that uh, until you just said it. I mean, if, if, if once a week you took time just to write down your thoughts, I'm sure that would be incredibly valuable. Um, so yeah, that's a great idea. And I might even think about seeing if I could include that next year. Maybe one day where I don't have a reflection and that day you encourage people just to, to write and to reflect. Um, let's see. Okay. Da, da, da. Oh, Seth is saying should have added Camus. That's very true. Camus, I'm, you know, very, uh, I'm rereading Camus at the moment and uh, very much enjoying him. Uh, there's somebody saying, anybody in Nebraska doing atheism for Lent? Um, there's an LA person. Yeah, I'm going back there in a few days. Uh, Kevin, oh, yeah, good friend Kevin from Australia. He's saying, I thought about God more than any other time in my life, just like giving up chocolate. Does that make God <laughs> all right? So yeah, I suppose last year that that's that's ironic. Like a lot of people have said that the atheism for Lent was actually. I mean, this is the point. It's actually a spiritual discipline. It's a decentering practice, a profane practice. That's actually, um, you know, uh, you'll find yourself hopefully. I mean, if it works, thinking about these matters maybe hopefully more seriously and more existentially than you have for a long time. So Kevin, thank you for saying that. That's that's my hope. Um, I guess it's just like, yeah, when you give up chocolate, all you can think about is chocolate. So um, yes. Uh, let's see, uh, going through the questions. Ah, there's George saying Knight and Squire is brilliant. I gotta say Knight and Squire is brilliant. Jay Baker put me all to them because he wrote about them in his book, Fall, uh, Fall to Grace. And um, I bought it. I'm not big into comic books, but I bought it, and uh, it's very funny. There's, like, only six um, of the comics, but I, I enjoyed its, uh, its self-knowing. So I'm really excited about that first. You've got a great snippet from it. You'll really like it. Um, I'll probably put the price of Night and Squire up like crazy. I didn't mention I was going to do it until I bought them off eBay because I did this with a book. My favorite theology book is called Christ and the End of Meaning. And as soon as I said to buy it, uh, it, it went from like one cent to uh, currently, I think it's about $6,000 on Amazon. Um, it's because, of, there's because Amazon booksellers use algorithms to work out you know, how much they should sell a book. So whenever a lot of a book sells for no apparent reason, the algorithm goes crazy, and then it, it just goes ridiculous. Uh, okay, let me see other questions or thoughts on this. I'm sure I've missed something. Um, and then Zach says, oh, you're Zach, you're responding to somebody. I'll read to Josh. Josh says, is there anything in nihilism? It's benefits like living the present as opposed to living for a promised afterlife. Hey, Josh. Sorry, again, it's cutting out a little bit. I apologize. Um, I'm trying to think. That definitely, there's definitely elements of that. Um, and I will be addressing some of that in my, in my uh, seminars. But 
Um, it probably it's not you know, we don't go too deeply into um, kind of the more nihilistic stuff although maybe the whole thing reflects on that and there's a week on Nietzsche and uh, the masters of suspicion that might actually that connects with some of those themes um, I think what you're saying is very important and I've actually talked about it elsewhere so while it might be a little bit in atheism for Lent you'll definitely find a talk or two by me on on those subjects and the subject of nihilism uh, uh, Mike says, what have people who have completed the course said about their experiences? Any new views, changed orientations towards a concept of God? Yeah, Mike, you know, to be honest, it's probably the full range. Um, the people who contact me generally have liked it because, you know, they contact me. So I, I can't say that I'm, I have an objective standard and what people got out of it. But the, the stuff that I hear is some people find it... Um, most people I've talked to find it destabilizing in some way. They find it um, that it kind of opens up uh, new ideas and new thoughts. Uh, sometimes it's too much, like the email I got today, which was beautiful. It said, like, I literally had to stop because it was just throwing me into the deep end and I, I couldn't swim. Um, but the fact that uh, that person was saying, um, <laughs> basically was saying, can I have the, the new link because I, I want to do, do the rest of it. Uh, I hopefully that that was a good experience. One person I know who was a missionary in Tajikistan came home, was going to throw in religion, theology, church completely, had no interest, had just had all of these critiques, um, had given his life to that. And he did atheism for Lent and he thought that would be his last kind of hurrah. And it actually helped him find a different type of faith, a different type of engaging with his tradition that wasn't oppressive to him. That was actually liberating and uh, you know it was beautiful to hear um, but yeah I would say actually if you've done atheism for Lent in the past last year please write your experiences in the comments section even if they're not good no don't do it don't just write if you liked it write if you didn't like it and tell us why I would love to to see um, you know were you bored was it too much was it too little was it powerful was it all of the above Please, if you've if you've done atheism for Lent, um, t tell us tell us how it felt and and what you got out of it. Uh, oh yeah, Mark is saying, um, do you know the comic series Preacher? What do you think? I haven't read Preacher, but here's a little snippet. Preacher was done by oh, what's his name? Oh, oh, a Belfast guy, a guy called Warren. Garth Warren, Garth, oh, I forget, but he, see, he's a Belfast guy. His first comic, I think it was his first comic, maybe his second comic, was called True Faith, and it was a critique of his experience of religion in Northern Ireland. It's about a guy who basically wants to kill God, and he starts burning down churches, and we have a snippet of that in Atheism for Lent. I wanted something from Belfast, so that's the other comic book that we're using, True Faith, by the guy who does The Preacher. Now, there you go. Um, it's a really interesting comic book, and it's kind of subtly hints at his ch the, the school that he went to, which is called Sullivan. Um, here's another one. I've been wondering this for a while. Some people say Bonhoeffer contributed to the radical theology of death of God movement in the 60s and 70s. Do you think that's true, or is it a misunderstanding of Bonhoeffer? Zach, you know, great question. Um, we have... Oh, sorry, we broke up. We have Bonhoeffer in the course, 
Uh, we have some of the letters and papers from prison as part of this, so we'll be talking about that very question. Uh, we'll be looking at Bonhoeffer. My, 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 like, I could do a whole thing on this, but my, you, the, the truth is my last three books were an attempt to uh, flesh out one trajectory of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's later theology. Now, I'm not saying that that's what he would have done at all, but it was an attempt to take seriously some of the, the fragments of his later work. And I, I think that actually the radical theologians um, get something very deep about Bonhoeffer that, that uh, the other kind of more traditional religious figures have missed. So, I mean, it's a complicated figure, and he's a complicated figure, it's a complicated question, but I, in a nutshell, I do think that um, his work was taken seriously by the radical theologians, and even if Bonhoeffer wouldn't have agreed entirely with where they were going, um, what they were doing was a, a genuine um, direction that came out of his work. And as I say, my last three books, you can read them as an attempt to do justice to uh, some of the things he said in letters and papers from prison. Um, let's see. Oh, Kevin says, will you reflect on Eastern or Buddhist thought? Kevin, I was going to put in a week of atheism and other religions. And that would be Islam, pretty much Islam, Buddhism, Judaism, Hinduism. But I actually felt that I needed to do a lot more reading before I could do that in a genuine way. So I am thinking about doing next year's Atheism for Lent uh, primarily on that, looking at atheism in Christianity and some of the other major religions. So it'll, it'll definitely be at least a week of the course next year, 2018, but it, it might even be the lion's share. Um, I would like to have done it, but I say I just felt like I needed to do a lot more research and um, get uh, other people's advice. So that's a great question. It's something I've definitely wrestled with, and um, I think that in 2018, it'll because every year I'm going to reinvent this a little bit and take another angle and go deeper into some things. And so next year, I definitely want to look at um, how atheism operates within. Buddhist and Islamic thought, because there's different types of atheism. This is the funny thing, is like atheism is always regional, i.e. it's it's a critique of a theism. You know, it, atheism, so just as you can say to a theist, what God do you believe in? You can say to an atheist, what God do you not believe in? Because it, Jew, Jewish atheism feels different from Christian atheism, feels different from Islamic atheism, from Buddhist atheism, and even the relationships between them are different. And uh, and, and so that's something I really want to I really want to explore. And atheism and theism are very intertwined in Judaism and Buddhism in particular. Buddhism and Judaism are probably two of the most atheistic religions in the world, um, and and they have a much more rich uh, tradition of 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 you know of that conflict and that relationship between the two than than maybe Christianity has. And within Islam as well, I, I was reading some Islamic kind of atheism that, that comes out of a deep love of that tradition. And, you know, that has some fascinating things to say. Uh, let's see. 
Um, Pat's asking about my own religious background um, and how I developed atheism for Lent. Okay, yeah, that's a, I should say a tiny bit about that. I'd, I might do a whole Facebook Live on that question, Pat. That's a good question. But um, uh, actually, maybe I should wait and do and do justice to that. Might be a bit boring for everybody else. But uh, but but atheism for Lent did develop out of my own journey and experience. But by the way, I stole the idea from Merrill Westphal, philosopher um, who wrote a, a book called Suspicion and Faith, um, that um, is part of the pre pre-course reading. Uh, for anybody who wants to do that, uh, he wrote this beautiful book where he said that um, he's quite a conservative, you know, uh, Christian. But he said we should read Nietzsche and Marx and Freud during Lent because they will purify us and they will challenge us. And I was like, right, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so um, I find in my own journey, these thinkers profoundly influenced me, profoundly challenged me in ways that was, were life giving. And so that's why I started Atheism for Lent. And I've been doing it for like t on and off for like 20 years. And by the way, I think this could become a big thing. We have 500 people signed up, over 500 people. Uh, that's with virtually no advertising. If I could actually get, you know, a little bit more organized, um, you know, this could become a really established uh, decentering practice. Um, okay, let me see if there's just any any final questions or thoughts? Yes, uh, yes, yeah, he should be in. He should be in the course. Um, oh, I, Kevin says I almost didn't do the course two years ago because everything I do, I actually have to do until. Oh no! Let me see. You know, knowingly, I can't see all of the comments. So a long comment, I can't see it all. So, Kevin, I can't see the rest of your comment. Sorry about that. Um, okay, I think that's that's enough. It's getting very dark in here. You can hardly see me. Um, look, I look very sinister talking about atheism for Lent, and I, I look I look like some sort of bad guy of a James Bond movie. Um, but yeah, for those of you who are doing the course, well done. I hope you get something out of it, genuinely. I am really excited. I'm excited to do this journey with you. I'll be doing the reflections. I'll be talking once a week on them. Um, I do believe that you'll get something out of it. At the very least, you'll find some interesting thinkers you might enjoy. And at the most, it might open up uh, new parts of your life. And it might bring new liberation and a different understanding and appreciation of faith. This is an atheism for Lent that I think is... Is, is for both people who are atheists and theists. I think both will get something out of this. And of course, we're all both of those things. We're all atheists and we're all theists and we're all agnostics at times. We might be an atheist who occasionally prays. That's fine. We may be a theist who is preaching on a Sunday morning and thinking, hey, this is probably just the way I was brought up. Probably is, is just the, the way I was taught. Um, and all of us have times where we go, Perhaps, perhaps there's another way. Like one of my favorite quotes, Winnie the Pooh, who says, you know, the first book says, here comes Winnie the Pooh coming downstairs, bump, bump, bump on the back of his head behind Christopher Robin. It's as far as he knows the only way of coming downstairs, but he sometimes wonder if perhaps there is a better way, if only he could stop bumping long enough to think of it. And I love that quote because I think it captures how many of us feel. 
which is, are we bouncing our heads down this cosmic staircase the wrong way? Is there a better way? If only we could stop bumping long enough to think of it. So, you know, there's a little bit of all of that in all of us. And the less we admit that, often the more, we, more angry we are at those parts of ourselves that we see in other people. So hopefully even, even the very concepts of atheism and theism and agnosticism will be slightly changed uh, as, you, as you do this course. So thank you for being involved. Um, this is the last public thing I'll do about it. The next, the next lecture will be a private lecture. Um, and, um, and I look forward to talking to you then. Take care.